I'm really excited to bring this message to you today. It no doubt can be a challenging one. Uh, I say that to uh, just capture your attention and so that you know the heart behind me and these challenging messages is certainly one to call you to a life that God wants us to live. Nothing more, nothing less. Uh, Yet God's called us to a great life. And I want to make sure that we live the life that he has in store for us. Before we get into the word, I do want to pray us in so that I can encourage you through the word as we spend time in it. God, thank you. Thank you so much for the power of the gospel and how it has the ability to change lives. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that's in us, for the word of God that's working in us and through us. Help us today as we spend time in your word and reflect on the power of the gospel, the gospel in life and how the kingdom of God is lived out here on earth. Remind us of your goodness. Encourage us, challenge us to live a life that truly reflects who you are in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to remind you, if uh, you're not following us on the YouVersion Bible app, you can certainly do that. It's a great place to take notes. YouVersion Bible app, you go under the more, three lines, hit events, choose Allah Covenant Church, and there you'll find all the notes and points if you want to follow along like that. If not, I believe you may have brought your notepad, pencil, and your Bible. Here we go. Jim Elliott, name ring a bell. Jim Elliott, a very well-known American missionary uh, to Ecuador. He actually lost his life bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to an unreached people group. He's also known for this quote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, this well-known quote by uh, Jim Elliott, it, it captures both the cost and the reward of the Christian life. As Christians, we gain access into a new kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God. And this morning, we're going to take some time to unpack what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God gets lived out here in this world. As it relates to the gospel graph, we've come now full circle. Remember that it all began with God the creator and everything was perfect. But sin entered the world and it disrupted everything. It broke the relationship that we have with God and that God has with his creation. We now live in a world of brokenness that needs to be reconciled to a holy God. And and, and God isn't going to leave us in this state and in this place. He has a plan and his plan for us is to send Jesus the Savior into the world. But in order for Jesus to reconcile us into a holy God, we must turn from our sin and follow Jesus and trust him as Savior and Lord of our life. In doing so, we gain access into the kingdom of God, and and we're called to grow up in Christ. As we grow in a relationship with God, we're also sent into the world that is still now broken to go, to go and do what? To go and share, to go and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do we share this good news? Because we want the world to enter into the kingdom life just like we are as Christians. But I want to remind you that the admission fee into the kingdom of God is not something that we can pay on our own. Jesus paid it for us by shedding his blood and by giving his life through his death on the cross. 
And as we respond to the gospel by repenting of sin and believing in Jesus for our salvation, we are granted, we're given a lifetime membership into the kingdom of God. I think it's important that as Christians, we remember We remember that uh, our salvation or the Christian life isn't about just avoiding God's judgment and wrath. It certainly is that, and that's good news for us all around. But it is so much more than that. It's about being in a right relationship with God. It's ultimately about enjoying God and the intimacy that we can have with Him forever. The Christian life really is about loving God and about sharing God's love with others. It's in the Christian life that we can experience real transformation. And as the Bible says, we will gain a new heart. It's in the Christian life that we realize that we really do gain something that we cannot lose. And that's our citizenship into the kingdom of God Now, if you're a Christian, you know full well that living the Christian life is not an easy life to live. For some of you, you may be surprised by that. That stepping into the Christian life, you thought all of your problems would go away. But yet maybe you realize that problems resurfaced. But God, through his grace, gives us everything we need to endure life as a Christian. In fact, the Christian life is a hard life to live. And without Christ, it's an impossible life to live. Because we are called to die to ourself so that we can live for Jesus. In Mark chapter 8, 34 through 36, we read these words where Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Yes, the Christian life truly does cost us something. It costs us our life, but it's a life worth living. The Christian life also comes with an abundance of great reward. In the Christian life, we're recipients of the forgiveness of sin. We're adopted into God's family. We inherit all of the spiritual blessings that God has made available to us. We gain a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of the living God now lives in us. We are freed from the penalty of sin. Remember, we talked about that last week. And we we are also freed from the power of sin that has a grip on us. We're included into the fellowship of the church. We're made members in God's kingdom. And we can now look forward to an eternity in the presence of Almighty God. How incredible is that? The Christian life is full of reward. You know, all throughout the Gospels and into the New Testament, we read that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God uh, in his coming to earth. Well, what does that really mean? It simply means that God, uh, through Jesus Christ, established the uh, the kingdom of God on earth when Jesus came to the earth. The Bible tells us that the kingdom of God is now, that is active in this present age, and that its present, its presence is evident in the lives of those who belong to God through faith 
in Jesus Christ. But the kingdom also has a future, a future focus. The Bible is clear that the kingdom of God is not yet complete. That we're awaiting the return of Jesus to come back and to fulfill all that he started in the kingdom of God. This is good news because the good news is, is that Jesus Christ himself, we're awaiting his return. And when he does return, he's going to take the world that's broken and he's going to recreate it so that we now live in a world with no more brokenness. When Jesus returns, he will reestablish himself as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will live present with us here on this earth. And I think it's interesting. The, the Pharisees, they, they love to ask Jesus all kinds of questions about all kinds of things. But they also asked him questions about the kingdom of God and when it would come. In Luke 17, we read of this interaction, verses 20 to 21. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say here it is or it's over there for the kingdom of God is already among you. See, the point that, that Jesus was making to the Pharisees was that for now, the kingdom of God is without borders. The kingdom of God that is alive and well in this present age is without borders and that it will be unrecognizable. And it is certainly not comparable to any earthly kingdoms that exist in this world. The kingdom of God that is here is evident through the rule and reign of Christ in the hearts and in the lives of those who belong to God by faith in Jesus Christ. The Pharisees were troubled by Jesus' answer or response to them. Why? Because they didn't follow Jesus. What was the implication of Jesus' words to them then? If you don't follow me, you're not part of what? The kingdom of God. Concerning God's kingdom here on earth, in this present age, one commentator states, the kingdom of God is a spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who are willing to submit to God's authority. Those who defy God's authority and refuse to submit to him are not part of the kingdom of God. In contrast, those who acknowledge the lordship of Christ and gladly surrender to God's rule in their hearts are part of the kingdom of God. See, in this sense, the kingdom of God is spiritual. Jesus said that his kingdom was what? It was not of this world. He also said, and he preached that repentance is necessary in order for you or me to be a part of the kingdom of God. That access to the kingdom of God was uh, available to us in salvation is made evident in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, where Jesus said, that in order to be part of the kingdom of God, in order to enter the kingdom of God, one must be what? Born again. Being born uh, again or being born uh, made spiritually alive in Christ gives us access to all kinds of things. A new life, a transformed heart gives us access to life in the kingdom of God. You know, a response to the gospel, as we have talked about over the last several weeks, requires a posture shift in our lives. We need to turn from our sin. And what do we turn to? We turn to Jesus, 
We repent of our sin, we turn to Jesus, and we receive the salvation that he has to offer us and the forgiveness of our sin. The result of this posture shift, and if you recall last week, we talked about it being allowing us to be seated in Christ, that our salvation is not secure in ourselves or our good works, but only in the work of Christ and what he did on the cross. When we secure our salvation, we now have access into the kingdom of God. And once we have access into the kingdom of God and our salvation is secure, we must now live with a priority shift in our lives. We needed a posture shift in order to get saved, turn from our sin to follow or believe in Jesus. But now that we're in Christ, we must live with a priority shift in our lives. Why? Because life is no longer about me. Life is now about living the life that God has in store for me. Kingdom living is a whole new way of life. It's a reversal of the world's value systems. And in this kingdom life, no longer are we in control of our lives, but somebody else is in control of our lives. Who is it? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus not only wants to be the king of our lives, but he also wants to take control of our lives. And what is our response then to the new king in our lives? No longer are we the king, but Christ is the king. We're to listen to the Holy Spirit of the living God. We respond to the Holy Spirit. And we are to obey the very word of God in our lives. No longer should we see things the way that we used to see them. We have a new set of eyes that we look through. We'll call those gospel lenses. What does the gospel lens provide for us in this life? Well, as we learn the word of God and we learn to listen to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit works in us and through us, we begin to realize that there's a biblical worldview and a kingdom perspective that we are now to live out in this world. Why is it so important that we know the word of God? Because it's in the word of God that we get clarity on what the kingdom life is all about and the life that we're called to. In Matthew 6.33, let me remind you that Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Do you see the priority shift? Life is no longer about me, but life is about pursuing the things of God. And when we pursue the things of God, we realize that God has given us everything we need in this life as a Christian. So no longer do we have to worry about having a need. All we have to worry about is seeking God's kingdom first and living righteously. You know, the world tells us that we are number one and that we are to pursue all of the passions, all of the pleasures that we possibly can. That in this life, above all else, our comfort and our happiness is key to successful living. However, in the kingdom of God, the opposite is true. Through Jesus, we gain strength to live a new set of values. We are called to love others, forgive others, to live sacrificially, to be selfless servants, to seek justice for the oppressed, and to give what we have to meet the needs of others. There is nothing wrong with having and having an abundance in this world. But the question we all must wrestle with is, 
what we do have, what are we doing with it? And what are we seeking most above all in this world? Are we seeking God's kingdom or are we seeking selfish gain? In the kingdom life, we're called to live a life for God and a live, live a life of love for others. What is love anyway? Love is the selfless giving of oneself for the sake of another. If we were to survey the Bible and we were to get an understanding of what love really is, we could conclude that love is a selfless giving of oneself for the sake of another. Love is a life that gives, not takes. God loved us when we were bankrupt and he poured his love into us. The kingdom life, God wants us to pour that love out to others. In this life, we learn to give and not take. We learn to put the interest of others above ourselves. Essentially, we are called to an other-oriented life. A life that's no longer about me, but a life that is about those around me. And in order to live this life, we must have a priority shift in our life. But as Christians, we also carry dual citizenship. We must understand that our citizenship in the kingdom of God takes precedence always over our citizenship here on earth. That we are called to live the values of the kingdom of God and to not let the values of this world overcome us. You know, Christians aren't known in this world because we all dress the same. We're not known in this world because we all comb our hair the same. And we're certainly not known in this world because we all vote the same. So what are we known for? We are known by our love for one another. Jesus said in John 13, 35, he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In 1 John 3.18, it says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let's show the truth. How? By our actions. These are great words for us to consider. In light of the world that we live, in light of the chaos all around us, I promise you the world is looking for something and what they're actually looking for is love, but a Christ-like love. Will you show the world who Christ is through the way you love others? See, the point that John was making here is that the Christian life comes with an obligation, an obligation to deny ourselves in order to meet the needs of another person. I was so encouraged the other day. I was, I was talking with an individual and he was telling me about how his life has changed since he became a Christian and how things are different in his life now. And one of the things that's different in his life now is that he actually takes time every day to pray that God would give him an opportunity to meet somebody's needs or to love somebody in a way that would make a difference in their lives. He never did that before. He also takes time at the end of the day, and I was really encouraged by this, to thank the Lord for every opportunity God gave him. 
and to praise God for being able to be used by God. He's a businessman. He was telling me about a time he was on a road trip one time and he had to get up in the middle of the night and leave his hotel room. And in leaving the hotel room as he was checking out, there was this mom with her son and they had been driving for many, many hours were trying to check into the hotel. What they came to realize in checking in is that they couldn't afford the rate at this hotel. But they desperately needed a room because they needed the rest. So this gentleman sees this as an opportunity to meet a need and to love somebody else, a stranger, and he buys the room for them. It's a great story, but that's not the reason I'm telling it today. The reason I'm telling the story is what I think is is for a greater reason than the need that was met. It's the perspective change that this man now lives with. He lives every day looking for and asking for opportunities to love others and to meet others' needs. And when God gives him that opportunity, he takes time to praise God and thank God for that. In asking, why do you do this? His response was, I do it because God loves me. Think about that. What motivates you to love others? Does God's love for you motivate you to love the other? You know, when we were bankrupt, when we have nothing to offer, when we are sinners, Christ took our place and he died on the cross for our sins. And one of the realities of the life that we now live in Christ is that we live a life change where we have a priority shift in our life. We recognize who we now belong to, but our motivation for loving others should really come from the fact that God loves me and therefore I need to love you. This is what the gospel in life lived out is and what it looks like. You know, the gospel, we can never forget, it's always and only about what Jesus has done for us. So when you think of the gospel, you should keep your eyes on the cross. Why? Because it's there that we're reminded that when we didn't deserve it, God loved us. We're reminded that our salvation is secure in Christ and that we're seated in Christ and there's nothing we can do to earn it, gain it, or attain it on our own. But it's only and always by the grace of God that we are saved. Amen? But it's in this life, the gospel in life, that we learn to live from this perspective that I'm going to love you because God loves me. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. You know, kingdom living and the gospel in life is experienced through the posture of repentance and faith throughout our lives. And it gets expressed by our love for one another. A life living in the posture of repentance and faith is a life where our eyes are always on Jesus. It's a life where we realize and recognize every day the significant sacrifice that God made for me and he's called me to live a life of sacrifice for the other. That the way God loved me is the way he wants me to love the other. And when others see the gospel at work in us, they will be drawn to Jesus. 
You know, the contrary is true as well. When people don't see Jesus in us, when people see an inconsistent life from a Christian, one that does not exemplify the gospel in life, or one that does not exemplify God's kingdom values here on earth, it certainly doesn't help us reach people with the gospel. It actually hinders our ability to reach people with the gospel. I want you to consider the story that Dr. Harry Ironside told about a missionary in China who was translating the New Testament into the Chinese language. He was assisted by an eminent Chinese scholar who had never before been exposed to Christianity. Week by week, month after month, they sat side by side working through the biblical text. When the project was nearly completed, the missionary told his friend, you have been of great help to me. I could have never completed this project without you. Now, I want to ask you a question. As we have gone together through the New Testament, hasn't the beauty of Christianity touched you? Wouldn't you like to become a Christian? The man replied, yes, Christianity does appeal to me. It presents the most wonderful system of ethics that I have ever known. I believe that if I ever saw a Christian, I might become more interested in becoming one myself. But, exclaimed the missionary, I am a Christian. You, the scholar replied, you a Christian? I hope you will not take offense, but I must tell you that I have watched you and I have listened to you from the beginning. If I understand the New Testament, a Christian is one who follows Jesus. And Jesus said, by all this, you will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. You cannot be a Christian. For I have listened to you as you have talked about others in an unkind way. I have observed too that whereas your New Testament says that God will supply all your needs, you don't trust him. You worry you worry about this and you worry about that. And if your check is a day late, you become dreadfully concerned. No, you cannot be a Christian. But I think that if I ever see one, I should like to be one. Pierce to the heart. The missionary broke down and sobbed out a confession and asked God for forgiveness. He asked the scholars forgiveness as well. This man was so broken that the scholar later remarked, well, perhaps I have seen a Christian after all. As I mentioned earlier, a Christian life is to be lived out in a posture of repentance and faith. And it gets expressed to others by our love for one another. Don't overlook the importance 
of living a life that truly reflects the gospel in you. Don't overlook the importance of living a life that reflects the kingdom of God's values as a Christian here on earth. See, the kingdom of God is how the, the, the world will see Jesus in us. It's how the world will experience Jesus through us. I want to ask you a question this morning. Take a moment, ponder it, reflect on it. I want you to answer it, but maybe it's better that your neighbor answers it. Do people see Jesus in you? Will people experience Jesus because of you? You know, living the kingdom life, it's not about trying harder. It's about trusting Jesus more. I don't want you to leave today feeling like Trinity is guilting you into living the Christian life. That's not what I'm doing. I want you to see more clearly that God has called you and equipped you and given you the opportunity to live this abundant life that he's called us to. I want you to consider that it's not about your efforts, but it's about your trust. Are you living seated in Christ? Is your salvation dependent on the work of Christ and what he has done? Are you motivated to love others because of God's love for you? Or have you got off the seat? Are you trying to do it on your own? Are you trying to prove something to others and prove something to God? I want you to consider what you're putting in your head and putting in your heart. Garbage in results in garbage out. How much time are you taking reflecting on the word of God every day? What are you putting in and what is coming out? Are people seeing Jesus in your actions? Are they experiencing you through your life? See, the Christian life is really about the grace of God that saves us and the grace of God that equips us to live the life that God has in store for us. The Christian life is not about perfection. It's about keeping our eyes on Jesus. Listening to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Responding to the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. And living in submission and obedience to the Word of God. Once again, why do we learn the Word of God so well? So we know how to live the life that God has for us to live. If we're not taking time to get the word into our head and to get the word into our heart, I'm going to challenge you. I think it'll be hard press for people to see Jesus in you and experience Jesus through you. How many hours of your day are you taking in what the world has to offer? Allowing that to influence how you live. The Christian life is about being willing to die to ourselves, to our own wishes, our own desires, and our own plans. 
and to live to meet the needs of others in Christ's name. In doing so, we do a couple things. One, we prove our allegiance to our new king. No longer are we in control of our lives. We recognize he is, and we prove to the world and to Christ that he is our king. But we also pave the way. We pave the way for others to, to hear and to experience and to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, we read these words. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us to redeem for us uh, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works that's good news god has called us he set us apart we are his special possession and he's equipped us and he's graced us and he's sent us back into the world. And he said, now go and be zealous for good works. Let me remind you, our salvation is always and only dependent on the grace of God. Our good works do nothing for our salvation. But the good works of our lives are a result or a reflection of the salvation that we've attained in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And it's through our good works that people will taste and see what the kingdom of God is really all about. This is why love, justice, mercy, grace, Forgiveness, selflessness, and sacrifice are so important in the Christian life. Why? Because they are all things that we do for others that reflect the kingdom of God's values of heaven here on earth. The kingdom life is an exciting life to live. It's a life that we can't live on our own. It's a life for those who are privileged, set apart unto God. It's a life where God says, now go into the world that is broken and bring hope to people who are hopeless. Remember, don't get caught up in the world's system. For I've given you a new way to live. Through the posture shift of our lives, turning from sin to Jesus, we're seated in Christ and then we're called to holy living. Holy living requires that we have a priority shift in our life. We don't live for the world anymore ourselves. We live for God and his kingdom values here on earth. We remind ourselves that we are dual citizens. But above all, we live as citizens of the kingdom first.
And then we make sure that the gospel is evident and visible all throughout our lives. We live with our eyes on the cross. Our motivation to love others is why? Because God first loved us. When we live this life, the gospel will go forth into the world around us. It will make a difference in people's lives and they will be drawn to Jesus. When people see you, do they see you or do they see Jesus? Because when we live so they can see Christ, they will be drawn to him and their life too can be changed by the gospel. That is good news. Amen? Let's pray. God, thanks so much. Thank you for the life that you lived, for the salvation that we can attain through the gospel, for the fact that you've called us and set us apart for your own very possession, that you've equipped us and you desire that we be zealous for good works in this world so that the gospel can be evident in our lives. And as we proclaim the gospel to the world, it will reach and change the lives of those who we interact with. Jesus, help us to live our lives fully aware that the gospel is a message of grace. It's also a message of hope. It's a message that should encourage us to to step up with enthusiasm. To live a life of building the kingdom of God here because after all, we do so with that longing and that great anticipation for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you will make all that is broken new again, we will experience a life that you intended us to be living out in relationship with you. Help us to reflect on your goodness and get excited about living the gospel in life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.